Let's pray together. Father, you are high and lifted up. You are superior to all that is. Lord, when we consider your beauty, our souls simply burst forth in praise. You are holy, you are majestic, you are love, you are power. You're just, you're compassionate, you're joy, and you're kind. Our limitations do not permit us to worship you perfectly. And we long for the day when we will be able to worship you fully and rightly. This world that we live in is overrun with depravity, with brokenness. Humans have imagined and engineered efforts to fix it, yet the world continues to devolve into despair. Our only hope is you. You are our solution. We long for your renewal of creation, for the old to become new. We're gathered here today because you came seeking us. We're gathered here today because you condescended to become man and atone for our sin. You have won the victory. We stand on your promises. The promise particularly to make all things new. We plead today that you would fill us with a hunger for only you. That you'd make our desires for you to surpass every other affection. We live in a place, Lord, that knows little poverty or hardship. Yet our riches are a dangerous potion, blinding us to the gospel. Make this church a mighty herald of truth and gospel. Use this church as your tool to reach this community for your glory. Make this church a brilliant city on a hill, reflecting your greatness for all to see. We intercede today for our sister churches that are gathered together in this community and, Lord, even beyond all around this world. We pray that you would bless their gatherings, that you would fill them with truth, that you would renew us all in the gospel and for the gospel. Lord, animate the Christian community with your Holy Spirit. Guard us, Lord, from apathy and indifference. Inflame our hearts with passion for you. Use us all to advance your ministry of reconciliation. Use us all to resist the many injustices that plague our world. Racial injustice makes headlines, and rightfully so. We are grateful, grateful for the progress that you are producing, making evident But we yearn to, Lord, make greater strides as your people. I pray that you would enable us to see, to act, to love all people as you do. Father, we're burdened for injustice that plagues the unborn. We are grateful, again, for progress in the fight against legalized abortion. 
still we believe life begins at conception. By your hand, a special gift from you. We pray that you might bring repentance to our nation. Lord, for this evil, diabolical practice. We pray that our nation would cease devaluing the elderly. That all life would be recognized as coming from you, worthy of dignity and honor. Lord, economic injustice and imbalance threatens life every day around this planet. Remove the scales from our eyes that we might see genuine poverty. Change the priorities in our hearts that we might minister more effectively. Grieve us for the countless souls trapped in human trafficking. Young people are being swept away every day from homes, families, lives, and it is at their expense that perverted humans gratify their evil lust. Wicked leaders around this planet contribute to the suffering of people in their charge in order to satisfy their own egomaniacal desires. We pray that you will deliver them. We pray that you will send the gospel to them. We pray that you will radiate hope to all who are hopeless. Use us, we pray, to carry that hope to the masses. Raise up laborers here in this church, for the harvest is plenty. Raise up an army of preachers, of missionaries, of workers to go to them. Make us faithful in our prayers to these ends. Make us faithful as stewards to these ends. Make us faithful as servants to be involved in these ends. Lord, we ask, we plead with you to answer these prayers today in a mighty and powerful way. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. One of the more remarkable sequences of events known to us. He was a Jew. He was a who's who among Jews. Began early, being trained and equipped and prepared to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was convinced in his own heart and mind that the followers of Christ, those who were a part of the way, were actually opposed to God. And he worked diligently to suppress this sect. The scripture says that he was filled with rage. He was breathing threats, involved in tormenting them, torturing them, trying to snuff out what he believed was heresy. He received orders, this passage tells us, to pursue followers of the way, even to Damascus. And as he traveled, something incredible happened. Suddenly there was a light from heaven and an encounter of the divine nature. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you're going to have new orders given to you. You will be told what you are to do. Having lost his sight, the Scripture says, he was blind, 
and that they helped him up and led him into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank. Now Paul was acquainted with fasting. He was a Jew. He was a who's who among Jews. Jews were expected to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. So he knew what fasting was about. But his fast in this circumstance, in this, in this situation, was much different. And so it begs me to ask the question, why? What was different this time in Saul's life as he engaged in this fasting? And Scripture goes on to say there was a disciple a Christ follower in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord went to him, approached him, said, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. He's praying. Well, we're told he's fasting, he's going without food, he's going without drink. The Lord tells us that he is engaged in prayer. The implication is clear. Saul is fasting to seek God regarding the spiritual need that is now present in his life. He thought he had all the answers. He thought he knew what needed to take place in his life. He thought he knew what the calling was upon his life until God interrupted his life and turned the proverbial apple cart over. And so with nowhere else to go, he became desperate with his spiritual need, and he began crying out to the Lord. Putting all other issues aside, all other fleshly desires, gratification aside, he was seeking God. He's trying to figure out what's happened, why it's happened, and what's to come next. Notice Ananias' address to him. Brother... Now, Ananias at first didn't want to go. He'd heard all the stories about Saul. He knew he was a persecutor of the way. And here the Lord was telling Ananias to go to this man who was leading the charge against people like Ananias, even putting them to death. Lord, do you know who this man is? Yes, go. And when Ananias approached Saul, he called him brother. What an incredible change has taken place. In both of them. Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight. That's important. If you're suddenly struck blind, that would be very important to you. And that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a game changer. And the scripture says Saul got up, was baptized and was strengthened. He ate and was strengthened. God supplied answers, and God gave direction to this new convert. Now, fasting terminology is something that's common in our world today, I think, pretty common. Uh, I did a little bit of work on the internet this week, and there's an incredible amount of books and articles out there on fasting. But often they refer to some sort of diet or health strategy. Now, I want you to hear that I'm not against those things. I understand that there's physical uh, benefit in fasting. The body can be positively impacted through periods of fasting. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about fasting that is directed toward 
spiritual purposes. That's the biblical definition of fasting. We're not judging diet or health fast. They're clearly beneficial, but we want to distinguish between health or fad type fast from spiritual fasting. We want to understand what the Bible teaches about spiritual fasting. Now, why a sermon on fasting? Why, Pastor, do we need to hear a sermon on fasting? I mean, some of us are feeling just a little bit offended right now because lunchtime's coming, and here the pastor's going to preach on fasting. Well, I've got four reasons why I think it's important for us to focus on this topic. First of all, fasting is prominent in Scripture. It's pretty prominent if you pay attention in Scripture. Secondly, it has significance for our spiritual journey. It's an important aspect of our spiritual journey, probably more than we have talked about typically in our churches. Biblical fasting, thirdly, is distinct from diet health programs that include fasting. It's very much different. And fourthly, biblical fasting is united, merged with prayer. The two travel together. So let's begin by thinking about what fasting is. What is Christian fasting? A biblical fast is temporarily abstaining from something that is normally good. The person fasting stops something. Usually it's eating food. And maybe I would suggest this is the most effective fast. It means that we forego a meal we forego eating for a day or even longer, catering to the body's need for food. And this allows the person to intensify the expression of need for something greater, specifically God's work in us and through us. So, short version. Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. The voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Now, let me say this. Fasting, Christian fasting is not commanded in the Scripture. Some of you just breathe a sigh of relief. In contrast, Muslims are commanded to fast. For instance, you can't be considered... Your claim to be Muslim won't be taken seriously if you don't do Ramadan. 30 days of fasting. Fasting's not commanded, but the Bible does imply that it's a normal practice. Much more normal than we're accustomed to. Jesus, in fact, expected His followers would fast. Listen to this. Matthew 16, 16 through 18. Jesus said, and when you fast, not if, but when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, fasting is the voluntary abstinence of food for a particular time in order 
to pursue spiritual purposes, to pursue God's work in us, through us. We are essentially flipping the script. Normally, we are controlled by our fleshly drives, passions, desires, particularly when it comes to an appetite. That's something that's hard to suppress, isn't it? Probably the most challenging desire impulse in the human body is that for food. And to say, I'm going to put that over, I'm going to make it, I'm going to minimize my desire for fleshly gratification, contentment, in order to pursue God's work in me, spiritually, His work in me. The purpose for fasting. In the Old Testament, those who fasted often faced extreme circumstances. For instance, they would find themselves facing uh, impending death or God's judgment coming against them. And they were severely stressed and aware of their helplessness. So they suspended normal eating habits in order to seek God's deliverance, to seek God's work in their circumstances. Fasting is an outward sign, an outward evidence of a broken, burdened heart. For many, it moved beyond that to become ritual. It became just a part of what they did. This is always true in our spiritual walk. Matthew 9, 14 through 17, the disciples of John came to Jesus. And they said to him, they accused him, literally, Why do, you, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? See, it was an accepted practice. It was ritualized. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." lot going on in Jesus' answer. A lot that we can't unpack this morning. But he emphasizes here the relational aspect of fasting. The relational aspect of fasting. As the bridegroom, his presence was cause for celebration, not mourning. It was fulfilling and contented, not depriving. He's saying the bridegroom is in their presence. Why would they be fasting? Everything they need is wrapped up in me. But I am going to leave, and when I do, and I'm no longer present with them, then they will mourn, then they will hunger, then they will desire for my presence, and they will fast. So it's an expression of desperation for His presence. Fasting cannot be practiced like it was before. 
When Jesus came, His first advent changed everything. The way that that God's people approached fasting prior to that was different than after. Now we have tasted His presence. Now we have the promise of His return. And we know what to expect when He returns. Once you've tasted, there's no going back, right? You can't can't use the old wineskins, He says. They just can't contain what we are expecting in the future. So Christian fasting is expressing hunger for the Lord. Hunger for the Lord versus hunger for the things of this world, versus things that fulfill the flesh, desiring putting a greater premium on things that cater to the Spirit. Christian fasting also expresses our neediness. In Acts chapter 13, in the first three verses there, this is what we hear. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church leaders needed and longed for God's guidance. They prayed, they fasted in worship and in desperation for God's direction, and He answered in a profound way. And this set the course for world transformation. Paul and Barnabas being sent out as missionaries from the church at Antioch was to spread the gospel, break the gospel out of its local region and to take it literally to the world, to the ends of the world. Fasting is a way of expressing with our stomach and our whole body how much we need, want, and trust the Lord and His leadership, His guidance, His direction for us. It says that we will not be enslaved to fleshly modes of contentment or satisfaction. We use abstinence from food to express that Jesus is better than food and more necessary than food. Food is good. It's created, given by God. It's necessary for our energy, for nourishment, for enjoyment. Fasting is to emphasize our hunger for Christ, for spiritual growth, for sanctification, for God's direction in our lives. Fasting is to prioritize spiritual health and fulfillment over physical need. How should we fast? How do you do this? Is there a right and wrong way to fast? Absolutely. If we return to Matthew 6, 16 through 18, when you fast, what? Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Clearly, there's a right and wrong way to approach fasting. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces. In other words, they make themselves look like they're fasting. 
They wanted everyone to know that they were fasting. Those are truly spiritual people. Look how much they fast. They're gaunt. They're wearing ashes and sackcloth and what spiritual leaders they are. Jesus said, no, this is hypocritical. You do this for an outward reward, then you have your outward reward based upon the approval of human beings. But, he says, anoint your head, wash your face, look normal. Keep your appearance normal so that no one will know you're fasting. Do not allow others to notice you're fasting. And your Father will notice in secret and reward you accordingly. Hold your finger there in Acts 9, but let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. The Lord offers us a contrast between effective fasting, true fasting, and that which is ineffective, or we might say false fasting. False fasting versus true fasting. Isaiah 58, beginning with verse 1, Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? He's changed gears now. Beginning, false fast. Now he's shifting into a true fast. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. It is not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke of my, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt and shall praise and shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in notice the attitude here with these people we have fasted but you god see it not 
What's up with that? Why are you not paying attention to our fast? We have humbled ourselves, yet you take no knowledge of it. God says to them, in the day you fast, you seek your own pleasure. You're seeking your own pleasure. Now, that makes me want to ask, how can you reconcile fasting with personal pleasure? I don't get that. Well, literally, he means when you pursue your pleasure, you're pursuing your own business. You're pursuing your own business. They do it to be noticed, to get credit, to enhance their reputation. They do it to be prospered by God, to find a place, a seat of honor. Their motives are out of alignment spiritually. How can fasting oppress one's associates? He talks about oppressing associates. How's that possible? Well, it produces a legalistic attitude. We start condescending toward those around us because they don't fast, they don't fast enough. I mean, we heard it in John's disciples to Jesus, right? Why is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? They concentrate on degrees and distinctions of action and making it a comparison. How can fasting result in quarreling and fighting? What the, those two have to go together. Instead of gaining communion with God, which was the purpose, they end up in conflict with one another. Well, I've had conversations with missionaries on the field who are in places where Muslims are a majority of the population, and they talk about Ramadan. Ramadan is 30 days of fasting. They fast during the daylight hours. At night, they break the fast. And they've described what goes on in those days, that as people fast all day in hot climates from drink and food, they become tired, they become irritable, and they become irritable with one another to the point that they engage in conflict and fighting with one another. Then at night, they break the fast by gorging themselves, which is not healthy, and it exacerbates the problem. And much the same thing must have been going on here with the people of God. They were engaging in a fast in order to impress, didn't really have spiritual tones here, spiritual purpose, they were punishing themselves in order to gain some sort of approval or praise coming to them. And instead, what they ended up doing is becoming irritable with one another, and it broke out in conflict and fighting, not reconciliation, not communion with God. He says this kind of fasting has no currency in heaven. No currency in heaven. It will not result in communion with God. Note the terminology used here. Bowed heads like reeds, sackcloth, and ashes. These were human additions to the process of fasting. These were not things that God had stipulated needed to happen. These were things that men added because they were looking for external observer, observation. They wanted people to notice they were fasting. So the sackcloth, the ashes... Bowed heads, fake humility. This was a false pattern of fasting. But then beginning in verse 6, 
the Lord portrays a true fast. It's not motivated by being noticed or receiving credit. It is to advance godliness. It is to advance kingdom principles and characteristics. Notice what he says. A true fast seeks justice over injustice, liberty over oppression and bondage, spiritual filling over physical hunger, genuine ministry to others over personal comfort, grace over shame and despair. When we fast in this way, he says, God's glory, God's light will break forth like the dawn. There will be healing and righteousness. Verses 10 and 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden. Not a source of water, but like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Should we desire God's continual guidance for our lives? We live in a world that's scorched by spiritual drought. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you see irritability, you see hostility, you see evidence of brokenness and fallenness and distrust. You think our world needs to see these lush, watered gardens of God's Spirit working in His people? He makes us a well-watered garden or oasis in this scorched, broken, dusty world. Now there are other ways you can practice fasting other than a food fast. Some of you may have health issues that prohibit you from Fasting from food. A husband and wife can abstain from being intimate for spiritual purposes. You can give up technology. In the world we live in today, that might be a true fast for some people. They're coming, they seem to be being born these days with a phone already attached to the arm. That's a joke, you'll get that later. Fasting from social media, games, in order to pursue God, to pursue His spiritual work in us, to give up these things that we've become so dependent upon. And if you think you're not addicted to these things, just try to break the habit. Try, when you normally would reach for it, try to leave it and see what happens. You can give up television, movies, entertainment, sports viewing. And don't wait till the season's over. That wouldn't be right. That'd be an easy fast, right? Once the season's over. I'm not watching any football for the next three months. However, food is the one thing that we simply must have. We can't go without food. And our body reminds us we need it, we want it. And so it therefore is the most effective and challenging method for true fasting. When is the time to fast? There's no particular time prescribed in Scripture. Old Testament Jews, as I said, fasted 
once a year on the Day of Atonement. There may be other times that they would fast for particular reasons, but they were expected to fast on the Day of Atonement once a year. Fasts are dictated by what's going on in your life, physically and spiritually. Moses fasted prior to meeting with God and receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments. David fasted when his child was ill. Esther fasted before going in to talk to the king about protecting the Jewish people from harm. Elijah fasted while consumed with melancholy and depression. Jesus fasted before being tempted in the wilderness and beginning His earthly ministry. So how should we think about fasting? Am I facing a major decision in life? Am I seeking God's direction for spiritual matters or concerns? Am I dealing with an area of weakness or addiction or suffering? Am I struggling with a relationship? Am I concerned for a loved one or friend to believe the gospel? Am I struggling with complacency in my walk with God? Or things like these. A fast can intensify your soul for communing with God. Now there are many issues in our world today pressing in on our hearts as many, as, as many of us as are here today, there's multiple issues pressing in on us that we're dealing with each and every day that are bombarding our thoughts. Personal challenges like health, finances, job, relationships. Prayer and fasting is a proper way to seek God's guidance and deliverance in such matters. Private times of fasting and prayer, not allowing someone else to know what you're doing, but using this as simply something between you and God. Now, out of courtesy, you may want to let a loved one that you're accustomed to having a meal with each day know what you plan to do, but not to wear it on your sleeve, so to speak. There are tensions and conflicts all over the place in our world today, whether it be the war in Russia invading Ukraine, whether it's inflationary pressures that are impacting us daily, political and cultural unrest that seems to be unceasing, or the aftermath of COVID and global impact on the church, both good and bad. Here in our fellowship, we're focused right now on the possible merger with Grace Church of Alpharetta. We've been encouraging you to pray, and I know and trust that you have been. We've had innumerable conversations. We've been meeting. We've been fielding questions. We've been talking. We've been talking about a lot of practical issues, and those things are important, very important. And I appreciate the way this church has approached it. Conversations have been good. The questions have been good. It's all been helpful, necessary, and informative. The opportunity, this opportunity before us is not about statistics, it's not about preferences, it's not about agendas, it's not about reputations, it's about God's kingdom and God's advancement. We are considering this opportunity in order to be stronger for the tasks that God puts before us, to be better at reaching our community, to be better at advancing the gospel around the world. We spent a lot of time, effort, and energy talking about practical issues. And those those conversations are not over, and I'm not suggesting that they need to be. But what I am suggesting to you today is 
I want to shift the focus. I want to shift our focus. We've, we've talked a lot, and there's a document there with all the answers to the practical side of things. But now I want to shift the focus. I want to shift our focus to a spirit of true, earnest prayer because we want to know what the mind of God is in this. I'm not worried about the practical issues if God's in it. If God's not in it, the practical issues will swallow us up. We've proposed a timeline for reaching a decision in this matter. And that could come as early as the the 22nd of May. So that's two months from today. 60 days, basically. On April the 3rd, we're going to have a, our prayer gathering at 5 o'clock that evening. It will be a combined prayer gathering with the Grace people and our people. And I hope you'll put it on your calendar and you'll make every effort to be here and be a part of that that day. What I'm going to suggest is that that day be marked on your calendar as a day for prayer and possibly fasting, should God direct you. It's not my job to call on you to fast but to encourage you to consider fasting that day and praying that day specifically for this issue as we come together and pray corporately together. Then on April the 10th, 17th, 24th, and May 1st, we'll have combined worship together with Grace Fellowship, Grace Grace Baptist Church. Our job in those days is to see what we look like together, how how we can move forward together to get better acquainted with each other. But I want to encourage us to make this a journey in prayer, that during this time of coming together, that we be more engaged in praying about the opportunity than we are in appraising the opportunity with our eyes. Then again on May 1st, we will have another prayer gathering that evening at 5 o'clock. That'll kind of be the bookend on the other end of this intentional effort to get better acquainted. And I'm going to encourage you to make that another day of prayer and or fasting. That we will seek God's mind. And you're not limited to these days. I hope and pray that you'll make prayer and fasting an ongoing part over the next two months of this, this particular opportunity that we're considering. I think it's that important. And I believe that if we know the mind of God, we move forward with unity and with God's blessing, both congregations, and that this will happen in a way that honors and glorifies His name. And His glory and His light will break forth through it so that all our community can see and recognize that it belongs to Him. We all have opinions about lots of things. Everybody's got plenty of opinions, right? The danger is that we elevate our opinions above God's mind and God's will. Praying, fasting, meditating on the Lord, and listening is critical so that we'll know His desires for us, so that we can obey Him in faith. And not be sidetracked, not be sidetracked, by our own wants and desires. Pray with me. Father, we thank you 
We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has indeed purchased for us redemption and that a part of that redemption is an open invitation to approach you in prayer, to share with you our heart's desires, our, our hungers, our hurts, to plead with you, Lord, for your intervention, for your direction, for your guidance. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice, to know your mind, and faith to step out and follow you, believing you, trusting you, Lord, to bring about your purposes in us and through us for the sake of the gospel here in this community and even around the world. I'm so excited, Lord, to see what you're doing right now in our midst. What a joy it is to watch you work, to see you work, and to produce fruit that's in keeping with the gospel. We pray and intercede that it not stop, that you would, Lord, uh, enable us to stand firmly against the wiles, the attacks of the enemy, and continue to rest in Christ, who is bringing about His victory, fulfilling His purposes that have eternal ramifications. Lord, make us faithful stewards of prayer. Make us, Lord, willing vessels to engage you in fasting that says we desire you more than we desire gratifying and contented things in this fleshly world we live in. Make it so for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.